The Professor by Callista Halsey Patchen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Professor by Callista Halsey Patchen. The Professor had been dead two months. He had left the world very quietly at that precise hour of the early evening when he was accustomed to say that his spirit friends came to him. The hospital nurse noticed that there was always a time at twilight when the patient had a good hour, when pain and restlessness seemed to be charmed away, and he did not mind being left alone, and did not care whether or not there was a light in the room. Then it was that those who had gone came back to him with quiet, friendly ways and loving touch. He said nothing of this to the nurse. It was an old friend who told me that this had been his belief and solace for years. When the professor had first come to town, he had spoken of the wife who would follow him shortly from the east. He did not display her picture, he did not talk about her enough so that the town, though it made an honest effort, ever really visualized her. She would come, without a doubt she would come, but not just yet. It was only that the east still held her. Gradually he spoke of her less and less often, with a dignified reserve that brooked no inquiry, and finally, not at all. The town forgot. It was only when his illness became so serious that all felt someone should be written to, that it was discovered there was no one. The professor, when he was appealed to, said so. Then also the hospital nurse noticed that at the twilight hour, when he talked quietly to his unseen friends, there was always one who stayed longer than the rest. But he had been dead two months now, and the undertaker was pressing his bill, and there were other expenses which had been cheerfully borne by friends at the time, and indeed if there had been no other reason, it remains that something must become of the personal possessions of a man who leaves neither will nor known heirs. So the professor's effects were praised, and a brief local appeared in the daily paper until it had made a dent in the memory of the public, apprising them that his personal property would be offered at public auction at 2 p.m. of a Thursday in his rooms on the third floor of the Eureka block. It was the merest thread of curiosity that drew me to this sale. I did not want to buy anything. It was a sort of posthumous curiosity, and it concerned itself solely with the individuality of the dead man. Not having had the opportunity of knowing him well in life, and never having known until I read his obituary what I had missed, I took this last chance of trying to evolve the man from his belongings. All I did know was that he was a teacher of music of the past generation in a western town which grew so fast that it made a man seem older than he was. More than this, he was a composer, a music master who took crude young voices, shrill with the tension of the western winds and the electric air, and tamed and trained them till they fell in love with harmony. When he heard a voice, he knew it. One of his contraltos is singing now in grand opera across the sea. A tenor that he discovered has charmed the world with an upper note. All the same, the professor had grown old. A new generation had arisen which knew not Joseph. He failed to advertise, and every young girl who gave lessons crowded him closer to the wall. 
Now and then there would appear in the daily paper, not the next morning, but a few days after the presentation of some opera, a column of musical criticism, keen, delicate, reminiscent, fragrant with the rosemary that is for remembrance. When Elijah was given by home talent with soloists imported from Chicago, it was the professor who kindly wrote beforehand this time luminous articles full of sympathetic interpretation of the great masters, and at rare intervals there would appear a communication from him on the beauty of the woods and the fields, the suburbs of the town and the country, as though he were some simple prophet of nature who stood by the wayside and this was no affectation long solitary walks were his recreation it was a good deal of a rookery up the flights of narrow dirty stairs to the third floor of the eureka block and here the professor had lived and taught two rooms were made from one by the sort of partition which does not reach to the ceiling a ceiling which for some inexplicable reason was higher in some places than in others the voice of the auctioneer came down that winding way in professional cadences. There were in the room about as many people as might come to a funeral where only friends of the family are invited. It was very still. The auctioneer took an easy conversational tone. There was a silent forlorn sort of dignity about the five pianos standing in a row that put professional banter and cheap little jokes out of the question. The pianos went without much trouble, a big one of the best make, an old-fashioned cottage piano, a piano with an iron frame. One of the appraisers, himself a musician, became an assistant auctioneer and kindly played a little, judiciously very little, on each instrument in turn. Then came the bric-a-brac of personal effects, all the flotsam and jetsam that had floated into these rooms for years. The walls were pockmarked with pictures, big and little. There was no attempt at high art. The professor had bought a picture as a child might buy one because he thought it was pretty. It was a curious showing of how one artistic faculty may be dormant while another is cultivated to its highest point but no matter how cheap the picture it was always conscientiously framed and this was a great help to the auctioneer indeed it was difficult to see how he could have cried the pictures at all without the frames by this time the rooms were fuller of people there were ladies who had come in quietly just to get some little thing for remembrance of their old friend and teacher these mostly went directly over to the corner where the music lay and began looking for something of his. If it were manuscript music, so much the better, but there was little of this. It appeared that, with the professor, as with most of us, early and middle manhood had been his most productive time, and that was long ago for everything to have been duly published in sheet and book form long enough indeed for the books themselves to have gone out of date there they were long green notebooks bearing the familiar names of well-known publishers and with such a hydra head of title as the celestina or new sacred minstrel a repository of music adapted to every variety of taste and grade of capacity from the million to the amateur or professor there were four or five of these there was sheet music by the pile there was an opera joseph the production of which had been a musical event 
Presently the auctioneer came that way. He had just sold a large oleograph, framed, one of those gorgeous historical pictures which are an apotheosis of good clothes. He approached an engraving of an old-fashioned lady in voluminous muslin draperies, with her hair looped away from her face in a book of beauty style. He liked that, murmured a lady. What do I hear? cries the auctioneer softly. Oh, such a little bit as that. I can't see it at all in this dark corner. Suppose we throw these peaches in, awfully pretty things for dining room, and this flower piece. Shall we group these three? Now, how much for all? Ah, there they go. Here, ladies and gentlemen, is a gold-headed cane, which was presented to the deceased by his admiring friends. It is pure gold. You know they would not give him anything else. How much for this? How much? No, his name is not engraved on it. So much the better. What do I hear? Look at this telescope, gentlemen. A good one. You know the professor was quite an astronomer in his way. And this telescope is all right, sound, and in good condition. The auctioneer had officiated at a stock sale the day before. You can look right into futurity through this tube. Five dollars worth of futurity? Five? Five and a half? Case and all complete. There was a pocket full of odds and ends, gold pens, lead pencils, some odd pocket knives. These inconsiderable trifles brought more in proportion than articles of greater intrinsic value. Evidently this was an auction of memories, of emotion, of sentiment. There was a bit of the beam of the barn that was burned down when the cow kicked over the historic lamp that inaugurated the Chicago fire. No less than three persons were ready to testify to their belief in the genuineness of the relic, had anyone been disposed to question it, but no one was. Nearly all the people in the place were the dead music teacher's personal friends. They had heard the story of all these things. They knew who had sent him the stuffed brown prairie chicken that perched like a raven above the door, the little old-fashioned decanter and wine glasses of gilded glass, the artificial begonias, that clever imitation that goes far toward making one forswear begonias forevermore. There were lamps of various shapes and sizes. There was a kit of burglarious-looking tools for piano tuning. There was a little globe. Who wants the earth? said the auctioneer. You all want it. There was a metronome which, set to go, began to count time in a metallic whisper for some invisible pupil. Over in the corner just beyond the music were the professor's books. Now we shall find him out, for what a man reads he is, or wishes to be. There was a good deal of spiritualistic literature of the better sort. There was a history of Christianity and paganism by the Roman Emperor Julian, a copy of She, a long shelf full of North American reviews, a dozen or so of almanacs, a copy of Bluebeard. There were none of the popular magazines, and if there had been newspapers, those vagrants of literature, they had gone their way. There was a manuscript play for parlor presentation with each part written out in legible script entitled The Winning Card. All these and many more things which only the patient appraisers can fully know were sold or set aside as unsaleable until all was done, and then those who had known and loved him, and those who had not known or cared for him, came down the stairs together. Fate stood on the landing. As always, fate ran true to form. She was a woman, a little tired, as a woman might well be, who had come a thousand miles, a little out of breath, from the two flights of stairs. 
Her old-fashioned draperies clung about her. Her hair was looped away from her face in a Book of Beauty style. The man who stood aside to let her pass was talking. Of course, he was saying, he was a sidetracked man, but I believe he stands the biggest chance of being remembered of any man in Iowa. Swift protest at his first words clouded her face. Sheer gratitude for his last words illumined it. She bent forward a little and went on up the stairs alone. She faltered in the doorway, her hand fumbling at her throat. One of the men who had been talking below hastened to her side. It's all over, he said, then added, at the dumb misery that grayed her face, the auction. I, I didn't come for that, the apathy in her voice holding it steady. I, I am his wife. His last letter he sent for me. A sob broke her speech. It came last week, two months too late. End of the Professor by Callista Halsey Patchen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain.